a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. And the doctor is in. Dr. Rashi Batar, ready to kick off the week with me. I am, Robert. I'm fired up from yesterday, so you better be ready. I'm ready. <laughs> so yesterday on the air, by the way, welcome everybody, Advanced Medicine Monday version of the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Batar, author of the international bestseller. The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Now, Dr. Batar, yesterday uh, I covered a story about ch- the Chili's restaurant chain being criticized by so-called vaccine skeptics in Forbes, you know, online, maybe their magazine too. Because, oh my gosh, the organization that they chose to donate some funds to actually recognizes that in so- some cases certain populations are susceptible to autism after vaccination. They didn't say vaccines caused autism, but the fact that they merely had that word vaccine and that word autism in the same paragraph was enough to get them attacked. And this is uh, nothing surprising to you or I, but I'm glad that uh, Chili's took the initiative to do something such as this. And it's no surprise, again, that the pundits would attack them. But, you know, the, the interesting component that I found is before we even got on the air today, how riled up you were about the situation. And I think that for the first time probably in maybe 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 the second time in four years, we probably did a whole show just because you were venting and you were so upset by this whole subject. So I actually found that amusing myself. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, you start challenging them on this way. It's so funny how fast these so-called scientific degreed professionals or quack busters or skeptics will start calling you names and dropping F-bombs all over the place. And, and I'm, I've gotten really good at that. It's not that I tr- want to upset people, but those people are upsetting to begin with because they're, they're claiming the mantle of science, yet if you challenge them on the science, then all they can say is, well, where's your degree? What, what have you right. studied? What gives you the right to have a microphone and say anything? And here's the thing, Robert. I have over and over and over challenged uh, the system. I've challenged this on PBS. I challenged this on, when I was in 2020. I've done it on our show numerous times that I will take on any one of these degreed PhD, MD types. I don't care what they are. Right. As long as it's in public form. And they will not engage with me. They will. They absolutely will not because they can't use that same BS line with me. And, and, and there's other doctors obviously out there too that are in the same boat where they believe the same way. Now, I don't know whether they're as willing to engage perhaps, but you know, <laughs> certainly right. they can't argue the science. Because here's the thing. It's exactly what you just said. When they have nothing that they can hang their hat on, when they realize that they're talking with somebody that is well-versed, aware, understands what the science is, and they can't argue against those points, they will immediately come back to that point of, well, who are you? Because the vast majority of the people that have a degree of, uh, you know, MD, PhD, D, or whatever, the vast majority of them, even if they believe like us, they're just not willing to go out there and mm-hmm. be attacked and ridiculed because it's not part of being in the country club. If you're in the country club, you don't go out there and 
tell everybody that or, or are willing to talk out against the other members of the country club. Even though you may not agree with them and, and secretly you do things on the side, uh, you don't talk – it's not proper to talk against the other members of the country club. Right. And so that's, that's the thing that you know I have said. Let's, t- let's carry on form in public, but they just will not do it but simply because they know that they have nothing that they can prove. No, they, they the- use half-truths. It very rapidly and, and try to contort the reality. Yeah, it very rapidly descends into ad hominem attacks, non arguments, and they'll they'll claim, for instance, um, well, listen, there are no double blind placebo controlled studies to prove safety or efficacy. And then they'll say, Well, where where did polio go? Or where did smallpox go? As if that's a scientific answer to the argument that there is no double-blind placebo-controlled studies to prove safety or efficacy. They're basically ascribing the disappearance of a so-called manifestation of a disease, which has been renamed numerous times, uh, to the vaccine, yet no study has been done to prove that that's what actually caused it to dissipate or go away. Well, of course. And, and we know that there's been numerous studies on the opposite side to show the dangers and destructive components of thimerosal. Even the manufacturers themselves who manufacture thimerosal, Eli Lilly, in their own material safety data sheets, clearly state that thimerosal is a known neurotoxic substance known to cause uh, severe neurological implications, including but not limited to mental retardation. Now, when the manufacturer of the company, uh, the, the company that manufactures this product, is out, it says it clearly in their own paperwork, how can anybody argue it? I mean, this is stuff that's over 20, now 23 years old. This is 1991 material safety data sheet from Eli Lilly. And when the manufacturer is stating it, then these pundits have nothing to stand on because they're sitting here. In fact, you know what? You and I both know that the people that are arguing this point, they're paid. They're hmm. nothing more than hired guns. They're robots. And they they're robots. Are, and here's another response. Okay, this, is, this Sound- is true, though, Robert. You know that. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you know, when you say they're robots, let, let's re- really make it clear. Three different times, a timeline on Wikipedia was edited to show a matter of public record. My son, at the age of five, when he testified in front of the U.S. Congress on May 6, two thousand and four. Right. He's still the youngest formal witness in front of the U.S. Congress. Three times, Wikipedia was edited to show that. I mean, this is a matter that's recorded in the Library of Congress. And do you know that each one of those times in less than five minutes, it was flagged? We're like, what do you mean verify it? Here's the verification. Here's a link to the Library of Congress. They wouldn't let it go up there. <laughs> yeah, right. So you, they, yeah. It's, they're paid. They're literally paid people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're paid to do a job, and that's it. They have nothing. I mean, even the, even the two people that I told you about, this, uh, the 12, 13 people that were attacking me all through my – fight with the medical board from 2007 to 2010 one of my patients his father is a security network expert for does a lot of stuff for like big companies like um, uh, microsoft and some other big companies and he's he's actually a computer security analyst and he did a trace back on these 13 people that were attacking me and came down to finding out all 13 of them were really two people and those two people are both doctors. They're both card-carrying members of Quackbusters. And one of them is that um, the one – in fact, we were the ones who exposed what his real identity was, the one that uh, posed for years as a mother with a child with autism. What is it? Um, uh, I can't remember what the guy's – what the screen name was, but um, – That's okay. Insolent in, – in, 
insolence or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, sure, insolence, yes. Yeah, I think that's what it was. That's a doctor. Both of them doctors. I think one was a surgeon and one is an oncologist. Mm-hmm. But they've got these multiple aliases. So my first question was, how does a surgeon have time to maintain five or six different personas online and write volumes of stuff on the internet that are getting published all the time on their websites. How does he have this this uh, time to do it? I mean, I don't even have time to go to the bathroom, so right. I don't understand how this guy, well, who's a surgeon... No doubt they're being funded by sources that rely upon the ignorance or the forced uh, compliance of uh, you know a vaccine religion at this point. And I think I struck a nerve because now they're, they're claiming it's a new argument, right? They're saying the latest argument, in quotes, a vaccine rejectionist, double-blind placebo-controlled studies. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, that's a new argument? Why hasn't anybody called for those in the past? Well, of course, then they say it's unethical. Yet, how many hundreds, if not thousands of families with children who who were not subjected to vaccines would be willing to say, here are our medical records, here's our health, take a look at them, compare them to children who were vaccinated. And of course, we've uh, brought out the evidence of some of those studies now coming to light. And it shows, of course, something very embarrassing for those who are still vaccine aficionados. Yeah, absolutely. The, this thing about the uh, unethical aspect, that it's unethical to do a study when you know that one group is going to get... Um, a known detriment, which is an absolute BS line because you're introducing in these components that are known substances to decrease the immune system, suppress the immune system, uh, annihilate, in fact, the immune system, rape the immune system, yeah. and then go on to do other uh, other unknown detriments, leave alone the fact that they're introducing in DNA addicts from other species, you know, right. dog dog brains and Oh, yeah. Speaking of dog brains and monkey brains and injecting poo, another argument is like, sounds great, Robert. Let's just infect somebody with polio and then give them a placebo. Vaccines eradicate. I mean, again, they will not take you on on the merits of the discussion. They will just start throwing out absurdities like we're the ones wanting to inject people with uh, garbage collected from uh, excrement and injected into the brains of monkeys. That's how they claim they've isolated a polio virus. Right, totally absurd things. I mean, tell me, how does mutated human cell lines being added to vaccines have any benefit? What does a human mutation, I mean, these are from fetuses that were self-aborted that have been taken. And in fact, uh, this is data from the CDC itself. Sherry Tempany has this in her book, The Two Different Mutated Human Cell Lines. What is the purpose of adding those mutated human cell lines in vaccines? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even understand where, where that came from. I mean, what's the purpose of it? What's it supposed to do? What are you, what are you doing? You're creating a vaccine with a, um, a hapton type reaction to mutated. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's a, that part of it's a mystery to me as well. But we got to take our first break here. We've got some questions that have come in through the website at robertscottbell.com. You're listening to Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Bittar. We got a lot more healing to go and a lot more absurdities to point out. Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. 
It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, Dr. Vitar. Well, here you go. You've, you've been taking barbs and things, and, and you, you're still standing all these years later. And, uh, you know, we don't do it uh, just for the amusement of it, but I do find it at least a little bit amusing in a sad way uh, that folks can't handle a discussion that points out that their views are beliefs and not actually, uh, you know, a scientific fact that cannot be questioned. Well, I think we need to point out that these aren't people. These are paid individuals and or people with a very, very significant vested interest in the status quo. Because if you talk to any quote, people, you know, you can sit there and make pretty much anybody realize the truth. And I think this is the this is the point that I would like to make, that when individuals are facing this dilemma of which side is the truth, ask yourself a simple question. And this is, again, talking to the people that may be listening to the show. Ask yourself a question, and that is, why aren't they doing studies? And there's actually a number of simple questions you can ask, but this is the first question. Why are they not doing studies to prove that pushing a shopping cart doesn't cause autism hmm. or eating watermelon doesn't cause autism. Why are they doing studies to show that thimerosal and that mercury is not causing autism? That's, that in itself, there's just too much attention to that one, uh, one area. And of course, all the results are coming out, oh, there's no connection. I mean, mm-hmm. that's highly suspect in itself. That's the first part. Second part is, does it make any sense to inject your child with a substance in the first day on the planet when those diseases, those processes that they could be susceptible towards, theoretically susceptible towards, aren't even going to become an issue in their life for the first 10 years. Point in fact, hepatitis B, known to be a significant issue in specific populations, namely IV drug users, Mm -hmm. uh, prostitutes, people that are very promiscuous, and lastly, healthcare providers because they're in conjunction they're basically in contact with people that are iv drug users and or promiscuous people you know theoretically in the in the healthcare industry you're getting a lot of those people in coming into the hospital so those three populations doctors and nurses promiscuous individuals and iv drug users are the ones that hepatitis b is going to affect and we also know that hepatitis b from the traditional definition needs to have a booster every 10 years now we have a child that's born and on the first day on the planet we also know that they need three shot three sets of shots before the uh, vaccine will take now does it make any sense that the child on the first day on the planet is going to get a series of three shots to protect them from a condition that is known to cause an issue in healthcare providers prostitutes and iv drug users that he was going he or she's going to need anyway a booster in 10 years are we really worried that our child before the turn 10 years of age is going to become an IV drug user, a prostitute, or a doctor or a nurse? And the answer is obviously no. So then why are we giving them hepatitis B on the first day on the planet? Well, These the, the, are the things that they can't, they can't argue with. And so as an individual, you, the public, must ask these questions. And you will see that very rapidly that their uh, response will deteriorate. Just what you said, Robert, to... Attacking you personally, calling you names because they have they, they can't justify. They, got, they have nothing. Yeah, they have nothing at that point. And again, observation. How do you how do you come up with a hypothesis through observation through questioning? And yet, questioning them is unacceptable. And that tells you that they are the priestcraft in the church of pharmaceutical vaccine mysticism. That, that's exactly right. That yeah. is exactly right. In fact. Plato's definition of science was observation. When you observe, you form a hypothesis. Once you find the hypothesis, then you test that hypothesis. And once the, you've got 
validation of that test and it comes out to be uh, reproducible, mm-hmm. then you call it science. That's, right. That was the definition of science. Their argument for vaccines is, see, see, the diseases are no longer here, even though they are, but it's because of us, it's because of the needle. Well, where is the study that proves it? Well, we can't do it because it's unethical. You just have to believe us. But if the parents right. observe that their children reverse in their development after a vaccine, that's not science. <laughs> Only they hold the mantle. Robert, here's, a, uh, here's, a, here's a clincher. Already, we've covered this a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. more and more of the public sees the truth, and they've already published it in a major medical journal that on a poll, the public does not believe, more than 50% of the public does not believe the government and medical, the medical establishment's stance on the lack of connection between autism and vaccines. And as a last point that I want to make, more than 25% of the children that I see, they are the, they are the children, their parents are doctors. They are the, these children are coming to me, being brought to me by their parents, and their parents are physicians. Wow, that is stunning. Listen, we've got to take, we take another break here. Uh, Dr. Batar is with us each and every Monday. We kick off the week with Advanced Medicine. Uh, all the links are up, including directly to Dr. Batar's website and the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Back with your questions after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Questions, comments, they're welcome. You can always call us, leave us a message if we're not live on the air with you. At the time you call, 866-939-2355 or go to the Robert Scott Bell website. Also check out autism, what is it, autismdefined.net. Isn't that the, the new one? And you'll learn a lot about what we're going to be doing at Autism One in May in Chicago. Check that out, of course, autismone.org as well. Uh, but now we go to the questions. Uh, this is a question. We had evidently answered a question from Lori a, a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Batar, and she was very grateful for that. She says, you guys are a lifeboat for people who are trying to muddle through this sea of, mm, I think she was going to cuss right there, but she left it blank for us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and what this government is doing and shoving it down her throat. She says, thanks to my own research and you and Dr. Batar's answers on the air, I have chosen to opt out of mandated flu shot when it comes due this fall. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's Lori. Remember, she was the prof- health professional nurse, I think, that was saying she risks losing her job if she doesn't get the flu shot. So, okay. All right. I'm there. I'm there. Okay. So her question is this. Even though I've not mentally prepared myself for having no job by flu season, uh, this year I forgot about the mandatory PPD test we must all take in April. What, what's the PPD test, uh, Dr. Batar? It's, uh, PPD is a test that they do to check for tuberculosis. It stands for purified protein derivative. And the question that she had is, you know, is it also cause a problem? And actually... Uh, the answer is no. You don't have to worry about that. The, PB, the, the only issue there is that there's a possibility. It's a remote possibility, but there's a possibility that by getting the PPD test, you could theoretically expose yourself to tuberculosis and actually acquire the issue, the, the problem. Right. But it's uh, supposedly a very, very uh, specific component, a protein derivative of the tuberculosis, and it's injected into the body. And theoretically, if you have had a exposure right. to TB, then you're going to have antibodies in your body. And if you have antibodies in your body, then you'll have a response where that 
little skin eruption will not clear up in three, four, five days. It'll look pretty ugly, and that means that you have had exposure to TB. It doesn't it just means that your body's been exposed to it, and your body has antibodies. If it if it resolves on its own, it means that you have no exposure to TB, and you don't have to worry about anything. Right. So there's no not, not none that I know of. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that I put this. Um, Disclaimer in there. Mm-hmm. I haven't studied it enough, but I know that the PD, PPD is not something that has preservatives and this and that component in there. So I am not aware of any health implications of having that done. I've had PPDs done probably a dozen times in my life, and yeah, if I remember, Doctor Batar, it just literally uh, goes through the top dermal layer, sort of to scrape you at a very superficial level. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but of course, if you show antibodies or some response, I don't know that it would mean that you're dying of TB either. No, no, no. It doesn't. It doesn't. It just means that you've been exposed to it, which then theoretically allows the um, monitors or whoever the people that are monitoring this to separate you from other people because theoretically you could extend it and pass it on to somebody else because you've been exposed to it. Right. That's what it right. is. It's supposed to basically segregate out the people that have been exposed and that have um, an immunity to it. In fact, from one standpoint, if you test positive to the the PPD test, Mm -hmm. that means you have antibodies. And the only reason you have antibodies is, of course, you've been exposed to it. But again, if you have antibodies, that means your body's responding to it and it's fighting it. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't need treatment. But again, this is all theoretical. You know, you, you have... A cyst, uh, something that's introduced into your body, you're checking for a reaction. If there is a reaction, there's a presence of antibodies presence. If there's a presence of antibodies, that means that there has been some type of an exposure to that person and they need to segregate that individual out to prevent risk of uh, spreading this to other people that have never been exposed to it. That's okay. basically what it comes down to. So, all right. So, Lori, you don't have to worry about the PPD test. Uh, obviously, the flu shot's another issue. Uh, if you refuse it, yes, you risk losing your job. I, you know, I would ask that you think creatively about other ways to get around it. We can't say that on the air. Uh, but I also remember on the TB issue, you know, my mentor all those years ago, Dr. Batar, he had to overcome uh, the deadly form of tuberculosis in his own body when he was so weak and dying in the 1960s when he was in his 40s. And he found a way to cure himself when even not only the regular medical doctors gave up on him, but even the homeopathic doctors came up and said, you're done. We got nothing for you. And he kept digging and he found that, you know, by focusing on his liver, his digestion, uh, you know, detoxifying and cleaning up what went into his body, he was able to recover, not only recover, but gain strength he had never had over the years. It wasn't an immediate overnight, but he slowly and steadily regained his strength, and he lived you know, well into his, uh, I think, right, right around 80-something. So pretty fascinating. Right. Well, it's, it, is a, it is a fascinating history. And, in fact, I think uh, there are probably, I don't know this for a fact, but there are probably many other things that individual could do using homeopathy to elicit the same type of a response, perhaps even a better response. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And so uh, when we look at things like TB, I think they're not well understood in that they claim just like anything else, oh, my gosh, it's such a massively dangerous infection. Well, it is to those who are susceptible, but you have to be very deficient, very immunocompromised, very toxic. All of these things that you talk about, the consumption was considered a disease of poverty, right, abject poverty. And uh, when you see somebody suffering, it means that there are a lot of preexisting issues that are not necessarily a microbe, but they are giving rise to a microbe. 
You know, Robert, I like the way you throw me these bones because this is a perfect <laughs> setup. Uh, you and I have talked about this so many times, so it's it's obviously the terrain issue, and this is where the information that is in Liam's book, for example, in official stories where we start talking about the rise and fall of polio, but then you look at the rise and fall of DDT, and the rise and fall of DDT precedes mm. polio's rise and fall by about six months. If you graph the use of DDT, you will actually see the incidence of polio following the exact path. As it goes up six months later, polio is going up. As DDT comes down, polio incidence comes down. So we know that when you look at the truth that the rise and fall of polio or many of these other components, these, these diseases had nothing to do with the use of vaccines, but rather the, the environmental aspect, the environmental triggers, the, the terrain aspect. And the vaccine hunters have used that as the as an excuse of saying that no, oh, it has nothing. It, it's it's a it's a. I'm sorry, I said vaccine hunters, but I meant yeah, the, the, the virus hunters. hunters. The virus, virus hunters. hunters. Thank yeah. you. Right, that's what I meant. The virus hunters. You know, they've used that as a as a way of going after and justifying the use of vaccines because you've said this for, for so many years, and it's it's the truth mm-hmm. that you cannot hold the industrial military complex responsible. You can't hold the major companies that are introducing these poisons into our environment as the responsible party. So what do you do? You blame it on some other issue like a virus or a bacteria because it's easy to go after them. And, and you know, the viruses and bacteria, they're as innocent as they may be. Yes. They have nobody to defend themselves, right? They have no... So you just create another vaccine. You create... Forget about the fact that the actual vaccine may even have nothing to do with the bacteria or the virus in the first place. Or here's here's the funniest part, that the bacteria and virus had nothing to do with the problem anyway, but we created this Mm -hmm. illusion, this propaganda machine that makes everybody believe that that's what it is. Right. It gives them a false sense of security, whatever it may be, and the industry goes on. By that time, industry figures out that they shouldn't be doing this. They stop and they come up with some other kind of poison and, oh, all of a sudden, the disease is gone now. Exactly, exactly. So my, my next question to the vaccine defenders, who made you gatekeepers of immunological collectivism? Because that's the whole other thing, the herd immunity nonsense that they'll always fall back on. We got to keep those numbers up above an X 90-something percent or else everybody's going to get sick. Well, what's the point of vaccines if it takes some kind of herd immunity that doesn't even exist? Again, where's the placebo-controlled double-blind studies proving that herd immunity is even real? Well, here's a, here's a counterpoint. Isn't it convenient to say that everybody has to have a vaccine? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then you're not making everybody else susceptible? Because, again, mm-hmm. the absurdity of that argument that if the vaccine is truly going to benefit somebody, yes. then why why would that a group that's been vaccinated be concerned about those that are not vaccinated. So it's it's a it's so ridiculous of an argument, and it comes back to what we talked about before, what Hitler used to say, and the the more preposterous the the, the bigger the lie, the lie, yeah, the, yeah, the bigger the lie, the more preposterous the lie, the easier it is to get the masses to believe it. Right, and the vaccine lie is oh. there's no possible way it could be out there. It's like right. mercury. Right now, you talk to anybody about mercury, people go, "Oh, well, they don't use that anymore." Right. It's like, yes, they do, but the, it's such an absurd thing that people think this. This, you know, that mercury was something that they did 50 years ago. They don't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. they see it on the news all the time, and they see how high schools get shut down because they spill out a mercury spill. 
the lie is that there's no mercury out there. And, and of course, it is out there. It's out there constantly. It's in the bulbs that we have. It's in our mm-hmm. d- dental amalgams. It's in the vaccines. It's preservative. It's all around us, everywhere. It's mercury. And it's the second most toxic substance known to man in mm. its elemental inorganic state. Yeah, and we'll be uh, helping folks undo that damage at Autism One. If you haven't uh, made your plans to be, to sh- be with us in Chicago, uh, maybe we can get Dr. Batar to show up in Asheville, North Carolina with Ty Bollinger and I at uh, Dr. Frank King's big event, July 18th through 21st. So we'll give you a heads up as soon as we know from Dr. Batar on that possibility. Uh, let's go to the uh, next question from Michelle. She says, Hi, I've been wondering uh, if an unvaccinated child can become infected with the vaccine-derived versions that get shed. Like like with the measles outbreak, she's worrying about well, if you get vaccinated, like with the MMR, will you shed some live viable virus? Are you talking about getting getting uh, getting the actual issue, or talking about just getting the vi- just getting the vaccine? See, she's not clear on this. When she Michelle's asking, she says she's seen stories where unvaccinated children uh, leave the country and so-called bring back measles. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but certainly uh, anything's possible in that regard. But she's really concerned here about uh, being exposed to children or people who are vaccinated while they're shedding a virus that they receive from the vaccine itself. Theoretically, the vaccine that's been given to an individual is an attenuated virus uh, or attenuated pathogen so it's not supposed to cause the disease yet we know that there are cases where people have actually acquired the issue that they're being vaccinated for mm-hmm. by just getting the vaccine i've seen this happen before yeah now they used to have a thing called live virus and actually they still have live virus vaccines which is supposed to be the virus is weakened but it's still alive you introduce it into the individual. Remember, there's all these immunosuppressive oh. agents within the vaccine anyway. You're right. Dr. Batar, we got to take a break and come back. It just reminded me of one of the vaccines that they try to push every year. In fact, is live and does shed. So we'll get to that in a whole lot more. One more segment of Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. We're just talking about Michelle's question here about vaccines, viruses, shedding the viruses that may be live. It reminded me that the inhaled version of the, I think the Metamune, the spray that you inhale through the sinuses, every year they promote that as a viable option to not get mercury, not get injected. And it is a live virus vaccine that they say can shed for 21 or more days so that they're supposed to avoid all immunocompromised people, but they never really tell them that after they get the shot, or very rarely. Not the shot, but the sniff, the uh, inhaler. Right. The the shedding of these viruses, shedding off the substances that you've been given a vaccine to theoretically protect yourself, it is a phenomenon that is very real. It occurs. It's not talking about very often, but it is real, and it happens and a person should be very concerned about that. But, you know, the concern is a moot point if you're not getting the vaccine in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, I do find it ironic that one of the excuses the, the, uh, the pro-vaccine religionists are saying is that you uh, are, are irresponsible because you risk making ill someone who can't get the vaccine, like a child who's not of age yet or someone who is elderly, someone
someone with an immunocompromised, but it, it completely ignores the fact that the people that are vaccinated are getting sick and in vaccinated populations they're getting sick, whether it's related to someone who wasn't or not. Right. And their argument about being irresponsible, making the people that are, uh, that are immunocompromised, that are susceptible, making them sick if you don't get vaccinated, by getting vaccinated and by shedding the, the virus, you're actually increasing the risk of those people getting sick. So, exactly. So exactly. It, yeah. Yeah. That so is, is such this an is important a, Again, point. propaganda at its maximum. Yeah, it is. It is. And the thing is, you are supposed to sacrifice yourself for some unknown greater good. The unknown greater good is unknown because, again, where's the studies to prove the safety and efficacy of the vaccines that they pride as being the cause or source of the reason why this diseases have been eradicated when they haven't even been eradicated? I think that's the folly and arrogance of man to think he can conquest and conquer nature. Yeah, and I think, man, you and I already know and most people on the planet already know that every time man gets in the way and of the way God intended for us to function, to live, for how the universe is supposed to operate, every time man gets in the way, we muck things up. We mess up the ecology. We mess up the environment. We mess anywhere we go. We mess things up. So that's another thing, you know, in, in my book, which I, you know, Robert, you always mentioned the book, but I'll just say in mm-hmm. my book, I have a rule there and that if man made it, or if man's promoting it, then Think of man as madness, mayhem, so stay away from it. <laughs> and if God ordained it or God made it, uh, you know, like from a dietary standpoint, for example, if if it's God made, then it's good. Yes. Okay? If it's man made, it's madness. Nicely Margin said. is madness. Butter is is good because God, it's, it's a naturally derived component, you know, that it comes from God's creation. Yeah. So when you start looking at the vaccine aspect, you know, we, you know that this is taking God designed the immune system, the master engineer designed the system and all living beings to not only humans, but in animals to prevent the spread of disease. Now man comes in thinking that we can better what the ultimate engineer did. And we start creating these vaccines. Now I shouldn't even have to t- go any further. If you believe that man is, Greater, and it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. If you're an agnostic, if you believe that nature, man is greater than nature, or man is greater than the Creator, then you, by all means, go ahead and get vaccinated. The way I look at it, Robert, that individual will be eliminating themselves from the genetic pool faster, yeah. and hopefully, our society will evolve. Yeah, improve in in its intelligence quotient. Uh, Again, we don't want to see any child harm, but again, their perception, uh, you know, if we give them any credit at all, maybe they do perceive and really believe what they're doing. But I think most of them are robots who are being well paid to try and discredit anybody who raises the question, which is the, you know, the basic tenet starting point for all science, all real science is questioning and, and never ceasing the questioning. Right. Absolutely. And the fact that they want you to stop. They, um, in fact, will go against, sometimes violently against those that are presenting the counterpoint, uh, shows you really what their agenda is, that they're, they have truth as not their agenda, but as you said, it's, it's a religion, and it's a cultish type religion that is going to, uh, if, you, if you don't believe what they say, they will strike you down with the sword. Yeah, that's their attempt. But don't let them do it. Stand strong and do the right thing. Keep your children protected in the way you know, the way we talk about here, the way you've read about, if you haven't already, in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Check it out. We'll be together again next week and looking forward to Autism One. Make your plans. Go to autismdefined.net to learn what's going to happen there. Dr. Batar, we are left with that message. Also important to tell each and every one of you out there. Go ahead. That the power to heal is yours. You said it. 
Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.